But what I want to do is not so much focus on the how. You've already gotten some very, very practical uh, hows, and that's why I asked Chris to share uh, what he did, because that by nature is what he does. But what I want to talk to you today, today about is the why. The why. The Bible says in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 3 and verse 11, God has set eternity in the hearts of men. In the heart of every single person that has ever lived, God has set and placed eternity very, very strongly. Now, how does he do that? In the book of Romans chapter 1 uh, and verse 20, it says God has made plain his eternal nature, I'm sorry, his eternal power and his divine nature by what he has made. Now, there are two things that I believe that every single eternity-focused parent understands. Number one, they understand that their children desperately want to experience God's eternal power and divine nature in their lives. Their kids don't just want to come to Sunday school class and learn about what God used to do a long time ago in the lives of other people. They want to experience that in their own lives today. They want to know God's eternal power and His divine nature in their lives every single day of their lives. And number two, eternity-focused parents understand that Satan will do whatever it takes to prevent their children from understanding or seeing God's eternal power and His divine nature. Now, in the Gospel of John, in the sixth chapter, there is an incredible story that uh, examples uh, the principle that I have just shared with you. And I want you to take your Bible, turn with me to the book of John, the sixth chapter. It's a story that's found in every one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But there's a, a phrase in John's account that uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke do not include. And this morning I want you to understand how significant this phrase is. In John chapter 6, we jump right in. This is the story of the feeding of the 5,000. And we pick up the story in verse 5. John chapter 6, verse 5. It says, When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for all of these people to eat? He asked this only to test them because he already knew in his own mind what he was going to do. And Philip answered, eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a little bite. And another one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon's brother, uh, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up and he said, here is a little boy. And he has five barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will that go among so many? Now, only John mentions that last statement that I shared. But here is a little boy. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all tell the story. They all express uh, uh, the story about how Jesus fed 5,000 people and it talks about uh, the, the loaves and the bread, but Matthew, Mark, or Luke, none of them talk about where the food came from. Only do we see in, uh, in the Gospel of John, John saying, here is a little boy. Now that's significant, because I believe John was the most eternity-focused of all of the apostles at the end of, end of his life. 
Now John had watched or heard of all the other apostles dying because of persecution. And he had been told by Jesus in the last chapter of the book of John that his life would continue on. And John lives, he's the only one of the apostles that lives to be an old man. Uh, in his 90s, he was kind of pastor emeritus at the church at Ephesus. And he would oftentimes stand to, uh, to, to speak and they'd be asked to give a word. And he would say, brothers love one another. And... Uh, John lived to be old, and you'll remember that in his old age, he was uh, on the island of Patmos, not because of choice or for a vacation, but rather it was a prison island. And while he was there, on one particular Lord's Day, the Bible said the Lord appeared to him and gave him what book of your Bible? The book of Revelation. And the book of Revelation, perhaps more than any other New Testament book, is eternity-focused from beginning to end. Perhaps that's the reason why thinking back on this day's occurrence, when Jesus fed the multitude, uh, while he covers all of the details of, uh, of the crowd size and the baskets of leftover food and all of that, perhaps because of that eternity focus, John focuses on this one phrase. Here is a boy. Maybe in his mind's eye, he is remembering back to that day, and maybe he recalls the boy that brought forth his lunch, and more importantly, the eternity-focused parents that made sure that their, un their son understood the principles that would lead to a life of understanding and experiencing in their, his own life God's eternal power and his divine nature. Folks, I want to tell you today, I don't care what your kids may say verbally to you because your kids are always saying, hey, I want this or I want that or I want something else. What your kids want more than anything else is to experience the eternal power of God himself in their lives. God has set eternity in the hearts of men, including your children, and more than anything else, they just want God to step into their lives and then to see miraculously what they read about in Scripture and not just to learn that God used to do great things, but that God is doing things great and beyond explanation in their own lives. Today what I want to do is talk about how you as a parent can make that happen in your kids' lives. And by the way, I want to talk to you as an individual about how you can make this occur in your own life as well. Now bookmark John chapter 6 because we're going to come back to get the end of the story. And I want you to go to the passage that, that uh, uh, we heard read uh, by Chris a few minutes ago in Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3. Because here, I want to talk today uh, about a passage from this passage of Scripture and give you the last lesson that eternity-focused parents need to teach their children if they want their children to be focused on going to heaven. And folks, by the way, if you don't teach your kids this lesson, they are just not going to get it. And they're going to be on a pathway like everybody else in this world that does not lead to heaven. The title of my message this morning uh, and the lesson I want to give you is honor God with your wealth. Parent, you need to teach your children to honor God with their wealth. Let's just pause and pray together this morning. Father God, I realize that uh, perhaps among any other passage uh, of Scripture that I could teach about today or, or any other topic that I could talk about today, 
that this absolutely flies in the face of everything that Satan wants us to live according to in our lives. And Father, I know that there's a spiritual wall built up in our lives that prevents us from trusting you and fearing you and honoring you with our wealth. And Father, this morning I just pray that you would help us to understand how accomplishing this in the physical allows you to step into our lives and show us your eternal power and your divine nature. Father, give us a story today. Not just the story of what you did in the lives of other people in the Bible, but a story of what you are doing in our lives every single day. And that's my prayer in Jesus' name. I want to read again the passage of Scripture for you, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 through 10. Significant passage of Scripture, but there are two words that I really want to focus in on this morning. He says, trust the Lord with all of your heart, lean not on your own understanding, in all of your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all of your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim uh, with new wine. There are two words right in the middle of that section of Scripture that I want to focus on. They're the last two words in verse 7. The two words are shun evil. I want to talk first of all about evil because evil that he talks about in this section of Scripture creates a deadly pathway that our children are already on. Now verse 9 makes it clear that this entire passage is about money. He says, honor God with your what in verse 9? With your wealth. Honor God with your wealth. And this section of Scripture describes a deadly highway that all of our children are on. And it's not by their choice that they are on this. They did not choose where they were going to be born, but because of where they, are going to, where they have been born, all of them are, are on this deadly highway. Now, if you'll put a bookmarker here, or just keep a finger here, I want you to go with me to the New Testament where Jesus describes this highway. In the book of Matthew, in uh, chapter 13, Jesus describes the highway that all of our children are on. Matthew chapter 13 and verse 22. Right in the middle of uh, the, the, the parable about the sower, and you can read that parable, the story of a, uh, a guy that goes out and sows seed, and he throws seed out, and seed lands on different types of land, uh, and he describes the different types of land that the soil lives on, and three out of the four types of seed, uh, seed that are thrown out there are not productive. But I want you to go down to verse 22. And I want you to notice one statement that Jesus makes about money and the highway that it puts our children on. He says, the one who received the seed, verse 22, that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word of God, but the worries of life and the deceitfulness or the lie of wealth choke it out, making it unfruitful. Folks, I want you to understand that your children, just by the fact that they have been born in the most wealthy nation on earth, are on a highway with everyone else around them toward worry and greed. 
Now Jesus describes the danger of living life on this road in another statement that he makes this time in Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19 and verse, 20, uh, verse 23. This is uh, right at the end of the story about a rich young man, rich, and it could be any of our kids, that come to Jesus on a particular day and they say, Lord, uh, what do I need to do to find eternal life? What do I need to do to follow you to be part of the kingdom of God? Jesus said, go sell everything that you have and give it away. Man walks away discouraged because he had great wealth. Folks, I want you to understand, just by the fact that your children grow up in the United States of America, I don't care what your income is, they are so far above the income level of every other child on this planet outside of North America that it is amazing. You realize that most, the vast majority of people on this planet today exist on less than $2 a day. And your children just by being part of this great and wealthy nation and why God blessed us to be born here, I do not know. But just by the fact that they have been born here, I want you to understand that they are that rich young ruler coming to Jesus that day. After he turns and walks away, Jesus turns to his disciples in verse 23 and he says, I tell you the truth. It's hard for a rich man, a rich young man, a rich young girl to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now Jesus goes on to describe the day in which we live in Matthew chapter 24. Would you turn there? In Matthew 20, chapter 24 and verse 12, Jesus describes the nature of the day in which we live right now today. He says in that section of scripture where he's describing the end of the age, right before he would return, he makes a statement there that explains much of what we see in the spiritual attitude of our nation today. He says in verse 12, because of the increase of wickedness, and I would say that wickedness that is increasing in our world today to a large part has to do with the wickedness of worry and greed. Worry is about how can I afford to pay for all the stuff that I have. And greed is about wanting more and more and more. And Jesus says because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But go back if you want to Proverbs chapter 3, and I want you to notice in verse 7 and 8 the uh, consequence of uh, living on this deadly highway that, uh, the, uh, that Solomon, the writer of Proverbs, gives. In Proverbs chapter 3, in verse 7 and 8, he says, Do not be wise in your own eyes, but you fear the Lord and shun evil. And this will, watch this, and this will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. He says, If you will fear the Lord and shun evil, just do life His way, man, it is going to bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. What does that have to do with what we're talking about today? You realize that our focus on this deadly highway of more and more and more, I've got to get it green and worrying about how we're going to make ends meet and all of that, that it does two things to us according to this verse of Scripture. It says, number one, it, uh, it takes health from our body. That's the opposite of what he says. He said, if you fear the Lord and shun evil, it's going to bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. The opposite of that is it's going to take health away from your body. Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 25 says, an anxious heart 
weighs a man down. Do you realize that our word worry, our word worry, comes from an old Anglo-Saxon word, Saxon word meaning to choke or to strangle. Could there be a better description of a word than that? When we worry, it chokes us, it strangles off all that God wants us to do. Now doctors say that stress can cause all kinds of problems physically in our lives. Heart disease, it can weaken our immune system and make us prone to infections. It can impact our digestive system. Uh, it can uh, impact our nervous system. And folks, I want you to understand that all of those things doctors say are increasing dramatically among the kids of our population here in our country. You remember where the, the day the biggest thing a kid had to worry about was, uh, uh, you know, uh, whether he had... Uh, cool uh, sneakers on his feet, you know, that cost about eight or nine dollars to get. Those are things long gone today. Man, the latest toy, the latest thing that so-and-so down the street has. And on and on and on are the worries of kids today. But also, he says, brings famine to our bones. Look what he says. He says, if you will fear the Lord and shun evil, this will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. What's the opposite of that last phrase, nourishment to our bones? Uh, it would be famine to our bones. Uh, Amos, the prophet Amos, in Amos chapter 8 and verse 11, writes and he says, the days are coming, declares that I will send a famine throughout the land. Not a famine of food or a thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. You realize that last year, Americans, just Americans, just Americans, and I would uh, uh, anticipate that most of this was done, uh, uh, spending was done by American church folks. You realize that Americans last year alone spent over $95 billion on, uh, on uh, uh, I'm sorry, $95 million on, uh, there's a lot of difference between those two, uh, on, on uh, Christian products and Christian programming. But you realize that our knowledge of the Word of God, while we've spent more and more and more, has become what? Less and less and less. Folks, the Lord says, being on this highway, a highway that says wealth is what I've got to have, and man, I, I, I've got to have it in my life, and I'm worried about not having enough, and man, I, I see what everybody else has, and I've just got to have what they have too. Do you realize what that is doing in our children's lives? Destroying them, man, health-wise. Destroying them emotionally but most importantly, destroying them spiritually. Because Satan knows if he can just capture your child's attention with the money that they have, he can control their entire lives. I said there were two words in this section of Scripture that I wanted to focus in on. The first word was the word uh, evil. The second word is the word that goes just before that in verse 7. It's the word shun. Not a word that we use very often today. But he says, do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. The word shun means to head in a different direction. 
Folks, I want to talk to you for a moment about the exit ramp that parents must offer their children to get them off the deadly highway of, uh, of uh, a desire to have more and more and more. Now, there are three words that I want to give you in this section of Scripture, and I'm not hitting the practical uh, because uh, Chris has already done that, but I want to give you the why, three words that parents just need to teach their kids. The first is the word trust. Trust. He says in verse 5, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. Folks, I want you to understand that every child around your child is consumed with greed and worry because they're leaning on their own understanding. But as a Christian parent, your job is to teach your children to trust the Lord. And folks, that starts with what you do with your own wealth. The second word is the word fear. In verse 7 he says, Do not be wise in your own eyes, but fear the Lord. Folks, I want you to understand that every child around your child totally ignores God and could care less what God says in his word. But your job as a parent, Christian parent, disciple parent, is to teach your children that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. You know what it means to fear the Lord? It means to reverence his holy name. More importantly, to put it in uh, just common words for us today, it means to make him boss of our lives. You know why we struggle so much with what the Bible has to say about what we ought to do is because we want to be boss of our lives. and We don't want to allow, want to allow God to do that in our own lives. Folks, number one, you need to teach your children to trust the Lord, not uh, trust in themselves. Number two, you need to teach your children to fear the Lord and do life His way. And number three, you need to teach your children to honor the Lord with all of their first fruits. That's what he says in verse 9. He says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops, not the last fruits. The very first thing that comes in, according to the Old Testament, had to be brought to the Lord. As a matter of fact, according to the Old Testament, before the Old, uh, Old Testament Jews should even eat anything from their crops, they had to first offer the first 10% to the Lord. He says, "My uh, uh, honor the Lord with all of your wealth, with the first fruits of all of your crops, and if you will do that, then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Now that sounds like a cool principle. But none of your kids' friends believe that's true. And your kids won't believe that that's true unless they can experience it in their own lives. You see, the scripture is not about a bunch of rules just to live by. It's about meeting the God of the universe and allowing him to give us principles by which he can step into our lives and show himself to be real and genuine in our own lives. So how do we do that? Let's go back to the story in John chapter 6, and you can leave uh, Proverbs. We're not going to come back. And I want you to just focus with you once again as we close out back to the boys' lunch that day. In John chapter 6, we just remember where we came from this morning. He starts out in verse 5. When Jesus looked up and saw a crowd, a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where are we going to buy enough bread for all of these people to eat? Now Jesus asked this only, uh, asked, uh, this only to test him because he already had in his mind what he was going to do. 
Philip answered, Lord, eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a little bite. But another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. And he said, here is a little boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? What do we really know about this boy? And what do we really know about this boy's parents? Well, the story has always been that mom sent his little boy off to school, off to the uh, to uh, uh, see Jesus that day, and she packed him a little lunch and his little lunch Jesus used. But but we don't read that in the story. What do we know about the parents? Well, at first you'd say, well, we don't know really anything about this about the parents. But but yeah, I think we do know uh, a lot about the parents. I believe it's likely that these were good Jewish parents who took their son to synagogue every single Saturday. I believe these were good Jewish parents who uh, taught the, uh, their son the uh, Shema, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6 that Charlie opened the service with, and taught stories of the Bible of how God used to use people in an incredible way. I believe this little boy probably heard stories about Joshua marching around Jericho. You remember that story? Joshua marches around Jericho the last time yelled and they blew their trumpets and the walls fell flat. You remember that story? I think he knew that. I think he probably heard the story of Gideon. You remember the story of Gideon, don't you? He started out with 30,000 guys and, uh, to fight against the army of the, uh, of the Midianites. And God said, that's too many people for me to deliver them. I want you to weed out the troops. And they got down to 300 people. And God said, with those 300 people, I can capture and destroy the Midianite army for you. I think he probably heard the story of David in the slingshot. Remember all the armies were against one another. And David and all of his brothers were there. And King Saul was there and they were scared to death because every day the giant would come out and he would start cussing the Israelite army. You say your God's so big, y'all are afraid to fight me. Send one of your warriors out to fight me. And David, just a little boy, fresh from the sheep herd, comes and he says, Saul, let me take him out today. He picks up a stone and he takes a slingshot and he nails Gideon, uh, uh, Goliath and he drops him right there on the spot. You know, we aren't really told much about the boy either, are we? All we're told was that he was a boy. But folks, I think that's enough to know what this boy was all about. Because there's one word that kind of sums up all boys. I was a boy one time. You know what it is? Adventure. Adventure. I didn't wake up on Saturday morning and say, well, I want to sit here and watch TV all day. No, that's what I went about. Man, I wanted to go out and I wanted to take a slingshot and I wanted to kill some giants. Man, I would organize our whole block together and we would be armies on our bicycle and we'd run up and down uh, Lake Avenue as if we were, you know, uh, knights on, on the great steeds and we were fighting and, and we were winning battles and we were capturing enemies. 
And I don't think that this kid was a type of kid just to sit by alone by himself. I believe he was out doing slingshot practice every single day because he was hoping that one day, one day, one day, God might show up and do something incredible in his life, not the lives of somebody else. And that occurred on this day. The day he had been dreaming of all of his life, and the day he would talk about all of his life. The Bible says in verse 9, here's a boy with five small barley loaves, and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many people? And Jesus said, have the people sit down. And there was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. And Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed them to those who were seated as much as they wanted, and the same with the fish. And when they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted, so they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over uh, by those who had eaten. And after the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who's come into the world. We've got to ask this question. From that day, did this little boy have a story to tell? Absolutely. And it wasn't a story about a shepherd in the Old Testament. It wasn't a story about Gideon that he could recite. It wasn't a story about what God used to do long ago. It was a story about what God did in his life. Do you think that kid ever told that story to any of his friends? I mean, every day. Do you think that kid ever grew up to be an adult to tell that story to his own kids? Yeah. Do you think that kid ever grew up and sat on a stool and gathered his grandkids around and said, kids, did I ever tell you? And they all said, Oh, here it comes again, you know. Did I ever tell you about the day that Jesus fed a group of 5,000 people with my lunch? Folks, I want to tell you something. Your kids don't want to just hear from you lessons and stories about what God used to do in the lives of other people. God wants your kids desperately want to have a story, their story, of how the God of all eternity looked into their life and saw their sacrifice as they gave away their lunch to feed other people. And the day that God showed up and did the totally unexplainable, the miraculous in their life. Folks, I just want to leave you with this question. We're going to take up our offering and sing a song. What is your miraculous story? And folks, I want to tell you, if you do not have a story of God stepping into your life 
and doing the totally impossible. I've got one area for you to look at. And that is the level that you are giving away to others. Because it's only when you give away, Jesus says, everything, does he have the chance to step into your life and write an incredible story. This morning we're going to receive our offering at the uh, cross. We're going to sing a song, and I hope that you today have uh, offering to bring. I've already given offering online, as I, as I do every paycheck, but I, I, I think you probably have something, just like I do in, in my billfold, that, that I could give to the Lord today in addition to what you've already given. And I'm just going to ask you as we sing together this morning that you just get up out of your seat and say, with your children, bring them with them. And I love Chris's statement, let your kids put the check in the offering plate. Let them put it, there's a basket over there. Just let them do that today with you, parent. But as you do, would you remember what Jesus asked the rich young ruler to give? Everything? And challenge yourself with the level of your giving and how you're teaching your kids. Let's pray together this morning. Father, I know of all the lessons that I could have taught today, this is the one lesson that Satan wants people to hear the least because there's nothing that takes them uh, to a higher level quicker as a disciple of Jesus Christ than getting this area correct. Jesus said, where your treasure is, your heart will follow. And Lord, I know that a lot of people's treasure is not in heaven, it's in this world, and so their heart is so attracted to this world. Father, would you begin today to rewrite some stories right here today? Would you give individuals that are worshiping here today, especially the youngest that are here today, a story of their sacrificial giving, but not just about their sacrificial giving, about your unbelievable supply where your divine nature and your eternal power stepped into their lives and did for them what they could never do for themselves. Lord, all we can offer you is ourselves. I pray, Father, today as we give our offerings today and perhaps there's someone that would like to name Jesus as Savior of their life, Lord, I'll be here at the front to allow them to do that today. Fathers, we give you, give you, give you ourselves right into our lives, a fresh new story. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's stand.